Well, welcome. My name is Brad Jackson, senior pastor here, and it is good to see everybody. I love, love the Palm Parade. There's an interesting sociological study somehow in that is there's an exponential decrease in palm waving as the kids get older. You know, like the third, fourth, and fifth graders are like, this isn't cool. I'm here because mom and dad pushed me forward, but it's a lot of fun. So this is... Uh, this Sunday through next Sunday is just really for us. And ushers, just go ahead and take the offering as we're going along here. Um, in the church world is, is, is one of the big times uh, for us. And exciting because we, we get a glimpse of this amazing, amazing story of God. I was thinking last Sunday, uh, I actually got to come to church and have no responsibility at all. So uh, the few days leading into that, I was away with my mentor and had an amazing time and Got home late Sunday night, and uh, we just came as a family. We sat over there in our normal section because that's what you do when you go to church. You always sit in the same place. Wouldn't want to know anybody over here, so that's why we sit over here. <laughs> um, for those of you that switch around, God bless you. You're better than the rest of us. Um, but my wife and I were talking the way home. Uh, we, we were driving home or later this afternoon just saying, uh, Mike Bechtold did such an amazing job preaching last week. And uh, we sat there saying, that's, that's a fun church to go to. We're glad we go there. And uh, it's a good feeling on occasion to be able to sit back and take it in. And this is one of those Sundays last week. And we're excited to see everybody here as we head towards next Sunday and Easter. But this Sunday, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 12, we're going to take a little break this Sunday and next Sunday from our Wayfinding series. We're in a year-long series where we're trying to oversee the big picture story of God. But these couple of Sundays, we're going to be looking at texts the churches all around the world are looking at. And so this week we are in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, and around Palm Sunday, which if you've been in the church world, you have a sense of what Palm Sunday is. But essentially Palm Sunday is around this idea that God's people, Israel, had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah to come and deliver them. That was the whole of their story, that they wanted this to happen. It, it had been centuries where they had been under rule from other people. So they were expecting this deliverer who had been promised to come. And it would be a, a little bit like the celebration of this Sunday where finally this Jesus, who's actually raised somebody from the dead, I mean, he's doing radical things. Maybe this deliverer has finally come. He's coming into the city. They run out to meet him, raving, uh, waving the palms, it'd be a little bit like, this is, this is to try and get our, our minds around, it'd be a little bit like if the Vikings won the Super Bowl. <laughs> First service, I made no other comment beyond that. I'm very tempted. But let's say if the Vikings won the Super Bowl, what would happen after that? Most of us who are Vikings fans, most of you who are Vikings fans, would go up to the Twin Cities and there'd be a big parade and you'd be standing along the side so excited. Everything is absolutely amazing. Our team won the Super Bowl. It has finally happened. The emotions are high. Things are right. The Vikings have won a Super Bowl, right? Can I get an amen? But he, <laughs> oh, this is so hard to keep my, my mouth closed on some of this. But 
think about this, because we know that Palm Sunday is not the whole of the story, that we go through Good Friday and the death of Jesus and we walk towards Easter. This would be the, the whole of the story if we took it in, because there's the expectation that things are going to be made right. Palm Sunday is about this expectation that, wow, things finally happen as we thought, as we had been promised. Things are going to be okay, but then you go later in the week and it all falls apart which would be a little bit like a number of years ago when the Minnesota Golden Gophers basketball team went to the Final Four, right? Remember that? And then not too long after, we find out they're cheating, it wasn't what we thought, and it's all stripped away. And if you think about that, that's the story of the whole of this week, that we start on this pinnacle, things are great, things have come together, we had hoped for this, we had expected it, and now it has finally happened. And then the emotions go down, and then next Sunday we come back up. Palm Sunday is all about expectations. It's all about expectations. And we know what that means. We know what it looks like to expect for something, to hope for something. If you're a student, you know what it's like that couple of days leading into the first day of school. You're excited. You have your notebooks all together. It's, things are going to be, I, I remember that first day of school vividly for me. I was not the best student. So those couple of days leading in, I expected everything to change. I would become an A student. Things would be right. And it seemed that way for a couple of days, on occasion a couple of weeks. But we know expectations. We know what it's like to hope for something. You're set up on a blind date. You're nervous, you're excited, you're expecting, and you go on, and then at the end of the blind date, it's like, that was good. That's the feeling of Palm Sunday. The things are actually right. You're an expecting parent. You're waiting and hoping you see this thing growing. And then the birth of a child, it's like, we expected, we waited, and now things have been made right. As we jump into the text, I want you to think about how you expect what you expect God to be like in your life. What you expect of Jesus, who is this Jesus, and what you actually, if you're honest, what you expect Jesus to be like in your life. We're in the book of John, John chapter 12, give you a little context of the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all first century biographies. They don't cover everything Jesus did, but they give us this overview about Jesus. And leading into this part where we're in chapter 12, the first part of chapter 12, Jesus is in Bethany. He's raised Lazarus from the dead, and now he's come back into Bethany, and he's having dinner with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the guy he had raised from the dead, the most important miracle that Jesus did. It's actually going to be a key reason why he goes to the cross. Jesus is having dinner. Mary anoints him with this oil that cost a year's wage. The disciples are upset about it. They say, what are you thinking? Jesus rebukes them and says, you only have me for a short while. She gets it, you don't. And then we come to verse 12 of John chapter 12. Let me pray before we jump in the word. God, may your word be alive and active. May it point us towards your son, Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be good and true so that we can hear your word in the fullness of what it is. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, all God's people said, amen. If you haven't been around Crossview, the way we sort of walk down through passages of Scripture is we read and we make some commentary so we can try and understand the world of the text and what's going on. Verse 12, the next day. 
So Jesus just had dinner at Mary and Martha's home. Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead, was there the very next day he, he, coming to Jerusalem. The news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. Bethany is about two miles east of Jerusalem. Not a long trip, but remember, they're not driving cars back then. And this idea of news, it had to be something big for it to travel this quickly. And it says that it traveled through the whole of the city. This is significant news. It is traveling through neighborhoods. It's going to the leaders of the community. Everybody is hearing about it. And then it goes on to say, a large crowd of Passover visitors. Passover is the biggest festival of the Jewish calendar, and this means that people from all over the Roman Empire, empire who worship the Jewish God are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this together. So a large crowd of visitors took palm branches, went down the road to meet him, they shouted, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, hell to the king of Israel. Let's stop for one second. Try and imagine the scene. Jesus is walking into town, ends up getting this donkey. People are literally running out in crowds to meet him because their hope, their expectation that the deliverer would come, they think finally has happened. And they're waving these palm branches. We just saw the kids walk around with palm branches, and it's cute. We love it. But palm branches in the first century, you waved a palm branch when the king and the army that had gone out and defeated another nation, when they were coming back, you went out and met them with these palm branches. It was saying, we won, we're excited, things are good, things are right. And then it's intriguing to me. The words that they say there to Jesus as he's riding into town, praise God. In a lot of your texts, that's that word Hosanna. It literally means, oh, save us. And it's not, oh, save us, as some of us think. We hear the word save and it's like, oh, that's about going to heaven. No, oh, save us meant for them in the here and now, in this moment, under Roman oppression, we are going to be saved by this guy, Jesus, who's riding into town right now. And it referenced back to a messianic psalm in Psalm 118 that this would happen. They knew it. They hoped for it. Now it finally has come. You can imagine how excited they are. And then the next phrase is this, blessings to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is coming in. Hosanna, oh save us, we're excited. Now, blessing to the ones who comes in the name of the Lord literally means we know this is from God. They probably don't get that Jesus is fully divine, but as he's coming into town, they're also saying, we think that this is from the hand of God. God has sent this guy into town. This is going to be the true king, which brings us to the last line, hell to the king of Israel. They are excited. The king has come, overthrow Rome. They will have their land. They will have things how they are supposed to be. And then it goes on, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding in on a donkey's colt. You've heard this often on Palm Sundays. And it points back in Zechariah 9.9 to an Old Testament prophecy, which much of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, there's Old Testament passages that had talked about it. They're called prophecies. But probably more important is the message that this is sending to the people watching. And you can imagine, you are going out, the king is coming into town. And by the way, when a king comes into town, the king doesn't ride in on a little colt, on a little pony. 
He comes in on a steel. He comes out. I'm in charge. I'm powerful. You can imagine it would be a little bit like if the president of the United States came to Mankato and wrote in on this. My brother, this is not his actual first car, but it was a lot like this. Stick shift, I mean, my Yaris was faster than a Chevette. Um, you get it. Like, the president comes in in a motorcade. The president comes in in a limousine. The president comes in with people protecting him. The president doesn't come in in a 1981 Chevette. You're running out to meet Jesus. You're expecting him to be on this big horse. And there's Jesus on a donkey. Like, why? And you can imagine not only the people running out, but you wonder, are the disciples thinking, you know, he said that he came not to be served, but to serve. Are they beginning to get a little bit of what's going on, of what this king is going to look like and act like? Verse 16. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. We won't sit with that a lot, but that's often the journey, right? In the moment, you don't totally get it. Afterwards, they got it. In verse 17, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign, the most important miracle Jesus does because it points to what we're going to celebrate next Sunday with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most important miracle is that Jesus raised somebody from the dead. That was different than anybody else over the last couple hundred years leading into this that had claimed to be a Messiah. And then verse 19. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. We could almost just leave off here as we walk into Holy Week and you can see the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman elite wondering, what are we going to do? What do we do? And the plot to kill Jesus begins to thicken. But Palm Sunday... Jesus riding in on a donkey. Crowds of people waving these palm fronds at him. Expecting a king. What does it look like for us to be honest with our expectations of who God is? The word expectation means this. A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. They believed that this Messiah would come in and deliver them. First century Israel, they believed a Messiah, a king, would come in, defeat Rome, give them their land back. This was deeply embedded in their story. It was all the way back to Genesis 12 when God is talking to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a ton of offspring and you will have a land. It was Moses bringing them out of Egypt. It was in the prophets. It was in the kings. It was embedded in their story. They were expecting somebody to come in, come in and free them from oppression. And it invites us into this question, if we're honest, when we think about Jesus, when we think about God, what are our expectations? Honestly, what are your expectations? Is it to be happy? If I'm really honest, 
about my relationship with God, this whole God journey, this whole believing in Jesus, if I'm really honest, I'm going to believe in God and I believe I'm going to be happy. Or maybe you're a little bit like, like me. If I'm 100% honest, I can often think that my faith in God means I should have a happy life, right? Like if I believe in God, I, I should be able to be happy. I should be successful. If I believe in God, then God's going to restore my marriage, my relationship with my kids, the deal at work, the thing at school. What honestly do you expect God to do for you if you believe in him? There's a couple of different ways that I think we can talk about this idea of expectations and hopefully get a little honest as we walk into this week. My, my hope and prayer is that we don't resolve everything around expectations this morning. My hope and prayer is that you receive the gift of walking into Holy Week, into the journey and beauty and tragedy of what this week is. So there's two different type, types of expectations I want to talk about. One is prosperity expectations. When we think about God, a lot of us, if we're honest, have expectations that are very connected to prosperity. Sometimes you hear the idea of a prosperity gospel and it goes like this. If I really believe in God, then God will do this for me. If I have enough faith, God will heal me. If I have enough faith, God will make me successful. If I have enough faith, God will give me money. You know, whatever it is. And that's our understanding of who God is. If I believe, God will then do this for me. It's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. Partly because it's not biblical. The other part is, I was just talking to somebody between the services who when they heard this, they had walked somebody through a journey who had been told, if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed. And then they walk through the cancer journey and they get to the point where they're not healed and what happens? Well, forget God. I had enough faith, so why didn't God heal me? And that brings us to the next one. And probably numerous people in this room, this is you. you you've been on a journey with God, and at some place, God disappointed you. At some place, God disappointed you, and now you just sort of go through the ritual, the routine, whatever it is, about this whole church thing to make your wife happy, to make your parents happy, whatever it might be, because now it's distant God. At some point, God didn't do what you thought he would do, and now you're saying, God, maybe he's out there, but whatever. I expect nothing from him. If we're honest, we often go to these places. We expect prosperity. If we don't receive prosperity, then we go to this place where God is just this distant, disenchanted, disconnected, away from us reality. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that type of understanding? I love that place in the Gospels where Jesus comes to Peter. Peter's the, the you know, always has something to say and, and he asks the question, who do you say I am? What do you say I am? You could have asked, Jesus could have asked him, what do you expect me to do? Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Messiah didn't mean you're God, you're going to die on the cross to save us from our sins, you're going to rise again to bring new life. The Messiah meant you're the king. You're going to defeat Rome, you're going to make things right. What if Jesus... What if God were to ask that of you? Like, really, what do you expect of me? Who do you say that I am? 
in the Gospel Transformation Bible, in the commentary part of the bottom, which is a great Bible, it says this. It says, Jesus, in his, Jesus is his own public relations firm and his own interpreter. The choice to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey wasn't just to fulfill prophecy, but to contradict the prevailing notions about Israel's Messiah. The waving of the palm branches wasn't just an act of enthusiastic praise. It was a statement of nationalistic pride. But Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem as, politi- as a political, economic, or social advocate for Israel. Listen to this. He came to establish a kingdom reign over all the nations, including Israel and Rome. A reign of grace in the hearts of his followers. And a reign of peace over all he has made. Jesus makes us joyful prisoners of hope by rescuing us from the empty promises of hype. Isn't that good? Jesus makes us joyful prisoners of hope by rescuing us from the empty promises of hype. And the promises of hype are often connected to what we think God will do for us if we have enough faith. My invitation for you this morning is as we walk into Holy Week, wherever you are in your faith, maybe today is your first time back in church in 20 years, first time ever, maybe you've been here every week for the last 50 years. My, My invitation is this week, this Holy Week, to take it seriously, to be thoughtful about the journey of this week, and to start by saying, I'm gonna hold loosely I'm going to hold loosely the expectations I have of God. The expectations of what I think God should do for me, of what I think or who I think God should be. And as you hold them loosely to believe and trust that God in Jesus Christ is going to enter into your life and your reality. You see, because that's the point of John. It's the whole point of this book. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, towards the end of the book. John totally gives it away. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. It's the point of the whole journey is that God and Jesus Christ, for every person in this room, whether you're new to it, whether you're angry at God, whether you're doing okay, whatever it is, God wants to enter in and invite you to believe in him. Not a caricature of him, not who you think he is, but to believe in who God in human form in Jesus Christ actually is. And the invitation is trust. The invitation is trust for each and every one in this room. Father, God, I pray for each one of us, me included, God. I I have so many wrong understandings of who you are. God, I pray. I pray we would hold loosely to all of that so that you can enter into those spaces Spaces of disappointment, spaces of anger at you. Spaces where we're 
or maybe not even thinking of how you want to enter in. God, I pray that you would do that. In this room, in this moment, at this time, God, for those who've never said yes to you, for those that have never put their trust in this God, God, I pray that they would do that now, that they would turn from any other God, any other idea of who you are, repent and turn from that and put their trust in you. And that they would walk into this week in a beautiful way. Maybe for the first time with eyes open to your grand story. And then God, for all of us who've encountered it time and time and time again, that we would continue to believe. Maybe in new and fresh ways, God, but that we would continue to believe that you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.